chapter five of wild bird guests by ernest baines this librivox recording is in the public domain economic reasons for protecting the birds if the farmers once realize what powerful friends they have in the wild birds they will be the best bird protectors on earth they will band together and see to it that no one is allowed to cut down their incomes by destroying the most valuable allies they have in their fight against their enemies the weeds the harmful insects and the harmful rodents the department of agriculture at washington after a careful study of the question tells us that the annual loss to the farmers of this country from the attacks of insect and rodent pests alone is about a billion dollars this means a loss of about a dollar a month for every man woman and child in the united states the loss occasioned by the enormous amount of labor required to battle with even partial success against the weeds which everywhere threaten the crops is also very great but the farmer's loss is by no means his alone we must all share it whether we wish to or not for we all eat what the farmer grows and whatever loss he sustains by having a part of his crops destroyed whether it be by drought or insects by floods or wild mice by storm or choking weeds we must share by paying higher prices for what is left so we should all be very much interested when the department of agriculture goes on to tell us that birds constitute the principal check upon the weeds and insects and rodents which cause this tremendous loss every year and we may accept the statements of the department of agriculture on this subject with absolute confidence because they are not the result of guesswork or of prejudice but the result of careful investigation on the part of scientific men who are giving their lives not to prove that birds are either beneficial or the reverse but to learn the truth about birds whatever that may be for example if dr a k fisher tells us that at least seventy-five per cent of the food of the short-eared owl consists of mice we can be as sure of it as that seventy-five per cent of a dollar is seventy-five cents you may be certain that dr fisher has taken nothing for granted he has examined hundreds of owl pellets and the stomachs of hundreds of owls from all parts of the country and at all seasons of the year and has reserved his opinion until he is sure that no further evidence will cause it to be reversed when mr f e l beale states that fifty-three per cent of the rusty blackbird's food consists of animal food chiefly noxious insects he is not guessing either he shows you a table which he has prepared after the careful examination of the stomachs of many blackbirds there you can see at a glance what kinds of food and the proportions of each which the birds eat during every season of the year and you can see also that bad deeds are recorded as carefully as good ones and that when practically nothing but grain is eaten the table shows it and when dr sylvester d judd expresses an opinion on the food of sparrows he has based that opinion on the contents of the stomachs of between four thousand 
and five thousand sparrows and so if he tells us as he does that during the colder half of the year the seeds of smart weed bird weed pigeon grass pigweed lamb's quarters ragweed crab grass and other seeds form four-fifths of the food of song sparrows we may accept the statement as a fact of course i am aware that the subject of the economic value of birds when taken up in detail is very complex and that the questions involved are not always easy to answer some birds like the yellow-bellied sapsucker which is said to damage the trees to the extent of two million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars annually and the sharp shin and cooper's hawks which live almost exclusively on poultry and useful wild birds are easy to place in the destructive class others like our cuckoos which feed on destructive hairy caterpillars and other noxious creatures and tree sparrows which devote themselves chiefly to the gathering of weed seeds are as easy to place in the beneficial class but in between we have many birds not so easy to place for example the bobolink which is beneficial in the north where it feeds mainly on insects is very destructive in the south where it works havoc in the rice fields the great horned owl is very useful in the west where agriculture is the chief occupation and where the bird destroys vast numbers of gophers ground squirrels and other pests but in the east where the population is denser and where there is more poultry raising this owl sometimes gets himself very much disliked by killing hens and turkeys sometimes birds whose value may not be very apparent under normal conditions come to the front at the time of a plague of insects or rodents and perform invaluable service for instance when the mormons first settled utah they were threatened with ruin by the millions of black crickets which came down upon their grain fields and swept them as clean as though they had been burned with fire the first year's crop was thus destroyed with characteristic courage next year the mormons sowed their seed again but no sooner did the crops give promise of a bountiful yield when again came the black crickets bringing dismay to the settlers but just at this juncture a wonderful thing happened suddenly and seemingly from nowhere in particular came a great avenging army hundreds and thousands of franklin gulls poured themselves into the grain fields and annihilated those black crickets until there wasn't so much as a chirp left it looked like a miracle from heaven and the settlers thought it was and the grateful mormons did not forget the gulls have been protected ever since both by law and sentiment and recently a suitable monument was erected in salt lake city in recognition of their services certain otherwise beneficial birds complicate matters by devouring predaceous beetles ichneumon flies and others which are themselves useful because they destroy harmful insects but then again these predaceous insects destroy some useful insects 
complicating the matter still further and making it extremely difficult to determine the exact economic value of the birds however where pains have been taken to work out the interrelations of birds and predaceous insects the evidence obtained seems to be chiefly in favour of the birds and at least until a more exhaustive study of these interrelations results indefinitely establishing their economic status we should give such birds the benefit of the doubt as this book is not primarily a work on the value of birds that subject cannot be dealt with exhaustively here but i will try to present to the reader just enough evidence to leave in his mind no doubt that birds as a class are not only useful but very useful and that it is well worth our while even from a selfish standpoint to protect them and to insist upon their protection by others we are often surprised to find that birds which we had regarded simply as beautiful or poetic are very useful as well as we have seen in the case of the plague of crickets which threatened to ruin the mormons gulls can do more than add to the beauty of a landscape given the protection they deserve they become valuable allies of the farmers coming with terns and other birds to be a scourge to the locusts and other insects which lessen the profits of farming eighty-four locusts have been found in the stomach of a single tern seagulls also act as scavengers cleansing the waters of our harbours and river mouths of offal and other refuse which threaten to pollute them and they are not the least of the many agencies which make fertile and habitable what would otherwise be rocky or sandy barren and uninhabitable islands their rotting nests make soil they fertilize it with their guano and plant in it seeds which they have carried from afar and which have passed unharmed through their digestive tracts doubtless many a shipwrecked sailor owes his life to the unconscious work of sea-birds and as forbush points out they often save the mariner from shipwreck especially in foggy summer weather at such times the presence or the clamorous voices of sea-birds in great numbers often give warning of the presence of the rocks or islands where they make their homes and off-shore fishermen receive similar warning from the unerring flight of homeward-bound gulls and terns chapman goes so far as to say that columbus facing a discouraged and mutinous crew might never have discovered america had not the fall flight of land birds passing from the bermudas to the bahamas and antilles been observed by the mariners who were given new courage by the unwearied and joyous songsters which alighted in the rigging the course of the vessel was changed the flying birds were made the pilots and the voyage was thus shortened by two hundred miles and land discovered few of us i think would look to the great dignified slow-moving fish-eating white pelicans to help us much in solving our insect problem yet at times they devour great numbers of locusts the ducks geese and swans are of value to us not so much for what they do as for what they are most of them are excellent for food and if we gave them reasonable protection instead of permitting them to be slaughtered wastefully they would make a wonderful and perpetual addition to our national food supply 
under present conditions a comparatively few people get most of them and they are growing fewer and fewer in numbers spoonbills ibises storks herons and cranes are all more or less useful as destroyers of insects and at times such as when insect plagues threaten the crops in certain regions the services of such birds may prove the salvation of the farmers an example of such service was given some years ago in australia when the sheep industry near ballarat was seriously threatened by a swarm of locusts which was devouring the pasture just as the sheep owners began to feel that they would be obliged to sell all their sheep to save them from starvation down came flocks of spoonbills and cranes which with the assistance of a flock of starlings soon completed the destruction of the locusts and saved the day herons of course when conditions are favourable for them destroy a good many fish but these birds are so picturesque that save in very exceptional cases it will do us good to make some sacrifice to have them with us a stately heron fishing on the edge of a lonely pool is a pleasant memory to be cherished through life a dead one upholstered and set up in a living-room is a perpetual reproach many of the sandpipers and curlews are famous as destroyers of insects and the smaller ones at least should be spared on this account professor samuel augie whose extensive and painstaking investigations have done so much to make us appreciate the value of nebraska birds once took from the stomachs of six spotted sandpipers two hundred and thirty-three insects ninety-one of which were locusts the farmer lost a valuable friend when the eskimo curlew disappeared and he will lose another if the upland plover passes as it will unless given powerful protection by law and sentiment this bird is used for food but is infinitely more valuable alive than dead it lives very largely on locusts and when these are numerous they are eaten almost exclusively quail and grouse are valuable both as food and as destroyers of insects and weed seeds the former at least are more valuable alive than dead they are wonderful destroyers of potato bugs and if encouraged to nest in the fields and fence corners no paris green need be used on the potato crops on locusts they work just as well professor augie found in the stomachs of twenty-one quail five hundred and thirty-nine of these insects an average of twenty-five apiece and that only a part of one day's work these birds also eat large numbers of chinch bugs cotton worms cotton boll weevils cucumber beetles may beetles leaf beetles clover leaf beetles cornhill bugs wire worms cutworms ants flies and many other insect pests and being birds of good size they require large quantities of such food as destroyers of weed seed they stand as high if not higher forbush states that they eat the seeds of over sixty different kinds of weeds those of ragweed seeming to be the favourite the same authority tells us that as many as two to three hundred seeds of smartweed five hundred of the red sorrel seven hundred of the three-seeded mercury and one thousand of the ragweed have been eaten at a meal dr judd gives even stronger testimony in favour of these birds when he tells us that five thousand seeds of green foxtail and ten thousand of pigweed have been 
found in a single bird he estimates that from june first to august first in the two states of virginia and north carolina alone bob whites eat one thousand three hundred and forty one tons of weed seed and three hundred and forty tons of insects when to all this is added the aesthetic value of this gentle bird whose cheery voice thrills all to whom it is familiar we see that to kill a quail and serve it on toast is to realize but a very small part of what it is really worth the morning dove which we see everywhere through the middle west and which all day long rises in little flocks as our train passes through the fields rivals even the bobwhite as a destroyer of weed seeds professor king in wisconsin took from the stomach of a single dove four thousand sixteen seeds of pigeon grass and from the stomach of another were taken seven thousand five hundred seeds of oxalis i confess that i have little patience with the man who tries to tell the farmer that all hawks and owls are his friends and that he should not shoot one under any circumstances he should know better than this and the farmer does know better such sweeping statements not only fail to convince the intelligent farmer but they tend to make him discredit the truth concerning the birds of prey dr a k fisher america's greatest authority on our hawks and owls divides them into four classes as follows one species wholly beneficial rough-legged hawk ferruginous rough-leg or squirrel hawk and the four kites the white-tailed kite mississippi kite swallow-tailed kite and everglade kite two species chiefly beneficial most of our hawks and owls including marsh hawk harris hawk red-tailed hawk red-shouldered hawk short-tailed hawk white-tailed hawk swainson hawk short-winged hawk broad-winged hawk mexican black hawk mexican ghost hawk sparrowhawk audubon caracara barn owl long-eared owl short-eared owl great gray owl barred owl western owl richardson owl acadian owl screech owl flammulated screech owl snowy owl hawk owl burrowing owl pygmy owl ferruginous pygmy owl and elf owl three species in which beneficial and harmful qualities about balance golden eagle bald eagle pigeon hawk richardson hawk aplomado falcon prairie falcon and great horned owl four species which are harmful the gyre falcons duck hawk sharp shinned hawk cooper hawk and ghost hawk to the average farmer the most surprising thing about the above lists will be the very small number of species which are positively harmful and for the farmer in the united states this list grows beautifully smaller when we take from it the gyre falcons which are northern species which seldom enter this country when we remember that the duck hawk is uncommon except in the vicinity of large bodies of water and that his operations are conducted chiefly against waterfowl and that even the ghost hawk one of the most destructive of birds is rare south of the canadian border except in the fall and winter this leaves us with two harmful hawks coopers and the sharp shinned hawk and as i have already in the chapter on the natural enemies of birds spoken of the misdeeds of these two it will not be necessary to say any more about them naturally it is not possible here to go into details concerning the feeding habits of a large number of birds of prey but i will try by giving a few examples to show why these birds as a class are beneficial and why therefore most of them should be protected first in order come the vultures which are almost wholly beneficial 
the turkey buzzard and the black vulture of our southern states render valuable service as scavengers flying at great heights and endowed with wonderful powers of vision they quickly find and devour carcasses and other decaying animal matter and thus prevent it from becoming a menace to health the hawks come next and i will begin with the red-tailed hawk whose appearance in any locality is almost sure to attract the attention of the farmer and which is among the birds most frequently shot for a chicken-hawk as the range of this bird covers the whole united states if chickens constituted any large proportion of its food it would surely be a great enemy of the poultry-keeper fortunately however its principal food consists of mice with a fair proportion of shrews rats squirrels gophers rabbits grasshoppers beetles frogs snakes and crayfish poultry is occasionally taken and a few birds are on the list but the great good which this hawk does by destroying rodent pests pays many times over for the occasional chicken or song-bird taken when perhaps the mouse-hunting is poor how far the good deeds of this hawk outweigh its bad ones may be seen when we learn from dr fisher that out of five hundred and sixty-two stomachs examined fifty-four contained poultry or game-birds fifty-one other birds two hundred and seventy-eight mice one hundred and thirty-one other rodents thirty-seven frogs toads and snakes forty-seven insects eight crayfish one centipede thirteen offal and eighty-nine were empty the red-shouldered hawk another large species which is a bird of eastern north america only is even more beneficial in proportion to the size of its range though it is continually persecuted as a poultry thief as a matter of fact it hardly ever touches poultry and most of the very few wild birds which it kills are possibly sick or decrepit ones on the other hand this splendid bird wages an unceasing warfare on mice and many kinds of injurious insects and the balance of its food consists chiefly of frogs toads and snakes though i have on several occasions closely observed red-shouldered hawks from the time their eggs were hatched until the young flew away i have never seen one carry a chicken or in fact a bird of any kind to its young i once reared two of these hawks in a poultry-yard actually confining them with the poultry for two months and though they were not overfed they never in a single instance even showed an inclination to molest the poultry perhaps the most beneficial of all is the marsh hawk because it is not only a useful bird but also has a very wide range being found in practically all parts of the united states and canada as its name would imply it is a bird of the open country and it makes its nest on the ground in the marshes flying low and with slow beating wings this large bird tacks tirelessly back and forth over the country sweeping the ground with its keen eyes for the mice and other small rodents which form the principal part of its food dr fisher tells us that of one hundred and twenty-four stomachs examined seven contained poultry or game birds thirty-four other birds fifty-seven mice twenty-two other rodents seven reptiles two frogs fourteen insects one indeterminate matter and eight were empty in some of these stomachs there were as many as four five and even eight meadow mice and when we consider the extreme rapidity with which birds digest their food we realize that these stomach contents do not begin to represent the entire work of the day on which they were shot and again when we consider that marsh hawks rear from four to six young and that these remain in the nest for several weeks 
that young hawks are proverbially ravenous and that during the latter part of their stay in the nest they eat even more than adult birds we begin to get some faint idea of the number of mice and insects which their parents must destroy each day in order to provide food for the entire family as eight meadow mice have been found in the stomach of a single marsh hawk and as this probably represented but a part of the day's food supply it would not be unreasonable to suppose that each marsh hawk destroyed at least eight mice or their equivalent in other harmful creatures every day to supply its own needs but in order to be well within bounds let us cut this number in two and suppose that each hawk kills but four meadow mice each day a number probably quite insufficient to keep such a large active bird in good condition this would mean that a pair of these hawks would destroy eight mice in a day or two thousand nine hundred and twenty mice in a year it has been estimated that each meadow mouse on a farm causes an annual loss to the farmer of at least two cents by destroying grass roots tubers grain and young fruit trees a very conservative estimate it would seem the destruction of two thousand nine hundred and twenty mice then would save the farmer fifty eight dollars and forty cents in other words it puts into his pocket fifty eight dollars and forty cents which but for the hawks would have been eaten up by mice now it is an exceptionally good cow which gives an annual return as large as that and a farmer owning such a cow would be very careful not to shoot her by mistake for some harmful animal yet that same farmer will without a moment's hesitation shoot these valuable hawks because hawks of an entirely different species have at some time carried off his chickens owls as a class are even more beneficial than the hawks they constitute what might be termed the night shift of the pest-killing forces coming on about dusk and continuing their work until dawn when the hawks again take up the good work having very acute hearing and also wonderful powers of vision which are in most species keenest in the dusk they are able to capture many nocturnal animals which are passed over by the hawks mice and rats moles and shrews rabbits squirrels gophers and prairie dogs besides many kinds of injurious insects constitute the principal food of our owls as dr fisher has pointed out there are some owls which are not wholly beneficial certain species when opportunity offers are destructive to poultry there is this to be said however that if poultry is properly housed at night there is little to fear from owls the barn owl chiefly a southern species is one of the most useful of all birds it lives almost exclusively on small mammals principally destructive ones fisher says that in the south atlantic and gulf states it feeds extensively on the cotton rat and that the common rat also is greedily devoured he once examined two hundred pellets taken from the nesting site of a pair of these owls in one of the towers of the smithsonian institution in these pellets he found four hundred and fifty-four skulls of which two hundred and twenty-five were those of meadow mice two of pine mice one hundred and seventy-nine of house mice twenty of rats six of jumping mice twenty of shrews one of a star-nosed mole and one of a vesper sparrow in the retreat of another pair of these birds were found more than three thousand skulls ninety-seven per cent of which were those of mammals chiefly field mice house mice and common rats and all this splendid work was done without the cost of one penny to any one best known perhaps of all our 
nocturnal birds of prey is the little screech owl a bird whose range covers the whole of the united states and the southern portions of canada the farmer who kills this useful little bird or permits any one else on his farm to kill it is woefully negligent of his own interests during the day there is no sign of its presence but at dusk it suddenly appears in the entrance of its hiding-place a hollow apple-tree or a hole in some outbuilding perhaps and without the slightest sound it passes into the air silent as a puff of smoke it drifts through the orchard over the barnyard and around the corn ricks with bright eyes wide open and sharp talons ready to snuff out the lives of the thieving mice or rats this little fellow may often be induced to take up his residence on a given farm if a suitable nest box is put up for him in the orchard there are several such nest boxes in this village and i know of at least two which are occupied by screech owls one of them is on an apple tree in my own orchard and when i found the owl i found in the box beside him half a very large black rat and several pellets containing the bones and fur of meadow mice if space permitted we might go on through the whole long list and continue to prove by indisputable evidence that most hawks and owls are of great value to the men to whom the presence of rats and mice and gophers and other rodents means a money loss but even from the above facts i think it will be seen that in most birds of prey the farmer has powerful allies who should be encouraged in every way possible and made to feel that they are never so safe as when they are on the farm the cuckoos of which we have two species the black-billed and the yellow-billed are among our most valuable destroyers of insects they make a specialty of hairy caterpillars and are among the best checks upon the destructive tent caterpillar weed and dearborn point out that they are unique in that they have a taste for stink bugs hairy caterpillars and poisonous spiny larvae which most other birds reject they are among the most persistent enemies of the caterpillars of the brown tail and gypsy moths and are said to kill many more than they can eat professor beale states that from the stomachs of one hundred and twenty-one cuckoos were taken two thousand seven hundred and seventy-one caterpillars and dr otto lugger found several hundred small ones in the stomach of a single bird a cuckoo shot in washington some years ago was found to have eaten two hundred and fifty half-grown webworms one large ceramibicid beetle and its eggs one large plant bug and a snail most woodpeckers are highly beneficial spending their lives chiefly in the destruction of insects which if they were not kept in check would quickly kill the trees which they infest some species like the ivory-built and pileated woodpeckers spend most of their time in the deep solitary woods others like the hairy and downy divide their time between the woodland the shade trees and the orchards while one the flicker lives much of his life in the open and gets a large part of his food on the ground wild fruits and berries are eaten more or less by most woodpeckers but their principal food is insects here again we must confine ourselves to a few examples the downy woodpecker which has a wide range and which is known to all of us is one of the most useful members of this useful family we need only watch him for a while as he works in our fruit and shade trees to realize this but as some of us haven't the time to prove it for ourselves it is well to know that specialists have already proved it for us from the contents of one hundred and forty stomachs examined by the u s department of agriculture it is shown that three-fourths of the downy's food consists of insects 
seventeen specimens examined in wisconsin were found to have eaten forty insect larvae including twenty wood-boring grubs three caterpillars seven ants four beetles one chrysalid one hundred and ten small bugs and a spider also a few acorns and small seeds and a little woody fibre which had probably been taken in accidentally with the food fanny hardy Eckstorm, in her charming little book the woodpeckers says of him downy works at his self-appointed task in our orchard summer and winter as regular as a policeman on his beat but he is much better than a policeman for he acts as judge jury jailer and jail all the evidence he asks against an insect is to find him loafing about the premises the hairy woodpecker is simply a larger edition of the downy and his feeding habits are similar most of his food consists of insects and four specimens examined by professor augie in nebraska contained one hundred and fifty seven grasshoppers nighthawks and whippoorwills are policemen of the air and are especially useful in that they are working in the dusk and at night when most other birds are off duty the amount of good work they do is almost unbelievable an arkansas nighthawk whose stomach was examined had captured six hundred insects gnats beetles flies and grasshoppers are also eaten by nighthawks and seven nebraska specimens were found to have gathered in three hundred and forty eight rocky mountain locusts swifts also capture most of their insect food while on the wing and they are apt to be found on duty at any hour of the day or night they should be encouraged to nest in the chimneys wherever they will flycatchers too catch most of their prey on the wing but unlike the swifts and nighthawks they do not go far afield to hunt for it upon some dead tree-top a telegraph pole the gable of a barn or similar vantage point they stand quiet but very watchful until some luckless insect comes within range of their vision a swift dive out into space the click of a bill and the sentinel returns to his post with the insect inside perhaps no flycatcher is better known or better loved than our common phoebe whose return in the spring is a pretty sure sign of mild weather or at least the approach of it ninety-three per cent of this bird's food consists of insects and the remainder of wild fruit it rears two broods of young each year and as there are often five birds to each brood the amount of food consumed is very great there is always a nest under the roof of our piazza and we should miss the birds in more ways than one if they did not come in the first place we should miss their cheery companionship we should also miss our customary freedom from annoyance by flies and mosquitoes for which we are indebted to the phoebes and a few other birds and it should be remembered that birds which destroy house-flies probably destroy the typhoid germs they may be carrying and that birds which destroy mosquitoes may be freeing us from the dangers of malaria i am inclined to think that birds have not yet received the credit due them as preventers of disease the kingbird has still another claim upon us this handsome flycatcher is one of the best of all guardians of the poultry-yard if a pair of kingbirds make their nest on some pear or apple tree in the orchard or chicken-yard woe to the hawk or crow that attempts to steal the chickens long before he gets near the kingbirds will fly out and attack him and like as not will make the feathers fly from his back before he can escape besides ninety per cent of the kingbird's food consists of insects he has been accused of eating honey-bees but that he does so to any great extent has not been proven in two hundred and forty-one stomachs examined there were found forty drones four workers and six whose sex could not be determined the killing of the drones was beneficial and the small loss entailed by the killing of four workers was more than made up for by the destruction of nineteen 
robber flies which were also found in these stomachs crows and blue jays seem to be on the fence they both do great good at certain times and in certain places and great damage at other times and places both of them stand rather high as destroyers of insects and both have bad reputations as robbers of birds nests in his government bulletin on the common crow of the united states professor walter b barrows sums up his subject's case as follows one crows seriously damage the corn crop and injure other grain crops usually to a less extent two they damage other farm crops to some extent frequently doing much mischief three they are very destructive to the eggs and young of domesticated fowls four they do incalculable damage to the eggs and young of native birds five they do much harm by the distribution of the seeds of poison ivy poison sumac and perhaps other noxious plants six they do much harm by the destruction of beneficial insects on the other hand one they do much good by the destruction of injurious insects two they are largely beneficial through their destruction of mice and other rodents three they are valuable occasionally as scavengers in conclusion he says it seems probable that in most places the crow is neither so harmful nor so valuable as to render special laws necessary for its destruction or protection these last remarks probably apply equally well to the blue jay who though a notorious robber of nests is useful as a destroyer of the larvae of brown tail and gypsy moths the eggs of the tent caterpillar moth besides beetles and grasshoppers neither crows nor blue jays should be exterminated but they should be watched and where they become too numerous or too bold and seriously interfere with other wild birds or with poultry measures should be taken to thin them out birds belonging to what we might call the blackbird family which includes the bobolinks meadowlarks orioles blackbirds grackles and cowbirds are nearly all more beneficial than harmful but there is a great difference in the amount of good done by the different members of this family the meadowlark is one of the most useful in the eastern states it does very little harm even in the spring when the corn is sprouting in summer it feeds almost exclusively on insects chiefly noxious ones and in the fall it is useful as a destroyer of weed seeds professor harold child bryant of the university of california in his splendid work on the economic status of the western meadowlark shows how valuable the bird is to the california farmer in spite of the fact that it does some damage by pulling grain during two weeks in the spring a damage which might be prevented he suggests by planting the grain somewhat deeper or by a little overplanting professor bryant gives ten good reasons why the meadowlark should be protected and among them is the fact that it is probably unequalled as a destroyer of cutworms caterpillars and grasshoppers three of the worst insect plagues in the state of california taking the other extreme the bobolink probably does much more harm than good if we judge him solely from an economic standpoint it is hard for people of the north where the bird is so well beloved for aesthetic reasons to hear him condemned but the fact remains that his depredations in the rice fields of the south are often very serious in the fall the bobolinks gather in flocks of millions which move like armies upon the rice crops which they would destroy in two or three days if they were not continually being driven off by bird-minders who patrol the fields and slaughter the birds by shooting them sparrows and finches base their chief claim to usefulness upon the fact that they are as a family the greatest destroyers of the seeds of noxious weeds they help to keep down perhaps fifty or sixty kinds of injurious plants and the amount of good they accomplish in the course of a year is hard to believe 
many of them like the juncos tree sparrows and snow buntings work in flocks and before them such seeds as ragweed pigweed smartweed and crabgrass fairly melt away from the ground it is not an uncommon thing to find from three hundred to five hundred seeds in the stomach of a single sparrow and these represent but a part of the day's work professor f e l beale some time ago made a very careful and conservative estimate of the number of tree sparrows which spent the winter in the state of iowa judging from the stomach contents of many tree sparrows examined by him he allowed a quarter of an ounce of weed seed a day for each bird and on this basis calculated that in that one state the tree sparrows destroy one million seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds or about eight hundred and seventy five tons of weed seed during each winter supposing that those seeds had been left on the ground and that one in a hundred had germinated i wonder what it would have cost the farmer to grub them out our seven species of swallows may be counted among the birds which are almost wholly beneficial they do no harm in any way beyond eating a few useful parasitic insects and combing the air from morning to night they destroy an almost unbelievable number of noxious flying things including houseflies mosquitoes gnats and horseflies as most of them are quick to accept the hospitality of man they are among the most useful birds we can have around our homes and barns but they are valuable in fields as well since they gather in locusts leafhoppers ants wasps and bugs the purple martin the largest of the family is very fond of squash beetles the stomachs of ten purple martins shot in nebraska were found to contain two hundred and sixty five locusts and one hundred and sixty one other insects when we see shrikes attacking our favorite chickadees and other little friends in winter it is hard for us to regard them as useful birds yet dr judd who has closely studied their feeding habits tells us that in the main these habits are good it appears that one-fourth of their food consists of mice one-fourth of grasshoppers one-fourth of english sparrows and noxious insects and only one-fourth of small native birds useful beetles and spiders quite different is the important service rendered by a host of small birds whose duty it seems to be to protect the trees and shrubs among which they spend the greater part of their lives here we have the vireos warblers wrens nuthatches titmice and kinglets all energetic and persistent hunters of small game which if allowed to increase unchecked would quickly destroy our forests and set at naught the best work of the fruit grower the vireos many of the warblers some of the wrens and the titmice work chiefly among the small twigs the leaves and blossoms of the trees and they are well hidden insects insect eggs or cocoons which escape the sharp little eyes made on purpose to spy them and the sharper beaks so well fitted for probing the crannies where they lurk who can help admiring the work of a chickadee when he undertakes to inspect a particular twig he goes at it as if he knew his business and took a pride in doing it right he studies his subject from every point of view from above from both sides and from below thinking nothing of swinging upside down if this position affords him a better view of any particular spot and woe to the pests which may be hiding from him cankerworm eggs here a small caterpillar there and a bark beetle behind that twig and the chickadee goes back and forth up and down and round and round meanwhile chatting gaily to a dozen fellows all working on different twigs until that little job is finished and he passes on to the next one professor e d sanderson who has carefully studied the chickadee in michigan estimates that this bird destroys every year in that one state about eight thousand million insects certain warblers the nuthatches and brown creepers devote themselves chiefly to the insects which infest the bark of the trees and gather in many which the woodpeckers have passed by 
mockingbirds thrashers catbirds thrushes robins and bluebirds should not be required to give evidence of their material usefulness in order to ensure our protection almost all of them are world famous as musicians and their cheerful presence alone has won for them the love of every american capable of the finer feelings nevertheless many of them are very useful as well the bluebird universal favorite has a splendid record as a destroyer of injurious insects professor forbes in summing up his evidence for this bird remarks one hundred bluebirds at thirty insects a day would eat in eight months about six hundred and seventy thousand insects if this number of birds were destroyed the result would be the preservation on the area supervised by them of about seventy thousand moths and caterpillars many of them cutworms twenty thousand leaf-hoppers ten thousand curculios and sixty-five thousand crickets locusts and grasshoppers how this frightful horde of marauders would busy itself if left undisturbed no one can doubt it would eat grass and clover and corn and cabbage inflicting an immense injury itself and leaving a progeny which would multiply that injury indefinitely the robin is charged with eating ripe fruit and there is no doubt whatever that in many cases the charge is true at times owners of small fruit farms suffer severe losses from the attacks of this bird though the investigations of professor beale tend to show that where wild fruit is abundant it is preferred to the cultivated varieties in any case the good work accomplished by the robin in destroying insects especially when there are hungry nestlings to be fed much more than offsets the damage done in individual cases the catbird must also plead guilty to the charge of fruit-eating for he is notoriously fond of the smaller kinds but as a check upon insect pests he more than pays his bills as he feeds his young almost exclusively on insects and as he rears two and often three broods in a season the service rendered is considerable the stomachs of three nestling catbirds examined by dr clarence moore's weed contained ninety five per cent of insect food sixty two per cent of this food was composed of cutworms practically all the thrushes eat a good deal of fruit but most of it is wild fruit that has little or no value to man on the other hand nearly two-thirds of their food consists of insects chiefly injurious ones so making all allowances for a number of birds whose good deeds are offset by bad ones and for a few which are positively harmful we shall see that we have working for us a great army of feathered workmen workmen many of whom work for us three hundred and sixty-five days in the year without wages and without even the necessity for supervision and when we think that these workmen never loaf never ask for a vacation and never go on strike it would seem that there should be among all intelligent people the keenest competition for their services in later chapters i shall show some of the ways in which these workmen may be induced to spend at least a part of the year in our fields and orchards and gardens where they will surely lay the foundations of a permanent friendship which shall be at once a source of pleasure and profit to us and of protection to themselves End of chapter five